Hello and welcome to our inaugural insurance podcast. I'm Andrew Douglas and work closely with our insurance relationships at Musenich and I'm pleased to be joined by Chris Price, Head of Insurance Solutions, both here in London. Over a series of podcasts, we'll be tackling a range of insurance asset management topics, which we hope will provide some useful insights for our insurance clients and contacts when thinking about their own investment decisions. So here goes. As our listeners will know, Chris, 2022 was all about rates. Can you give us a sense of how that impacted insurers? Thanks, Andrew. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that there's a difference between central bank policy rates and market rates. While central banks have paused their increases in policy rates, market rates have been extremely elevated as the bond markets have sought to control the agenda. As we all know, rising rates were bad news for insurers' balance sheets during 2022 and early 2023. Longer term, however, higher rates will eventually benefit insurers. From a solvency perspective, rising rates will not be entirely bad news as well. Many insurers were able to discount their liabilities, offsetting the effect of falling values on their solvency balance sheets to some extent, although the effect is asymmetric. The question in insurers' minds now is where are rates going next and what, over what timescales? And this seems pretty uncertain. Central banks, for example, have not declared job done on beating inflation and expressed a willingness to do whatever it takes to return inflation to target levels. On the other hand, the broader economy and individuals with significant borrowings like mortgages are crying out for lower rates. While the bond markets themselves, particularly in the US, are showing concern over the level of current and proposed government debt, with US Treasury yields pushed to elevated levels. To add complexity to the picture, elections are due next year in both the UK and the US, and the politicians currently in power do not want to go into those elections with underperforming economies. So, for the moment, insurers will have to live, live with uncertainty on rates. But I suppose every cloud has a silver lining for someone. Higher rates have unlocked pension transfer markets as many defined benefit schemes see their deficits evaporate and even move into surplus. Insurers operating in this space now generally have significant deal pipelines and the demand for the right sort of assets has picked, picked up. More of that later on. Thanks, Chris. So pension risk transfers and the new UK solvency reforms are clearly very much in focus. Look forward to coming back to that later. Before we do, uh, I think it would be good to tackle liquidity, which came starkly into focus for UK pension schemes during September last year. Although I know insurers have been very much focused on this for some time. How do you view this currently from an insurer's perspective, Chris? As you say, Andrew, the focus for insurers for some time has been on liquidity, particularly as they've seen increasing allocations to generally less liquid private markets. And there were and are good reasons for this. However, with rising rates, insurers have been better able to get adequate returns in more liquid public markets without being so concerned about capturing the liquidity premiums available in the private markets. Add to this the uncertainty around rate change direction and speed, and it's not hard to see why liquidity has moved up insurers' priority lists. There's also concern that the illiquidity premiums available in private markets may not yet have settled at appropriate levels to reflect movements we've seen in the public markets. 
ultimately insurers are trying to build flexibility into their investment portfolios. The consequence of the increasing importance of liquidity is that insurance, insurers have either paused their allocation to private markets or at least become more selective. The danger here is that insurers will for forget the other potential advantages in private markets, such as the illiquidity premium, diversification of underlying risks and structures, reduced price volatility and so on. In addition, many large insurers have established significant internal teams to originate and manage private transactions. They don't want to lose this resource or have it sitting on its hands doing nothing. We should not forget also that many climate change in initiatives rely on private market transactions and insurers are increasingly committed to these initiatives. So where next for liquidity, I suppose? Anecdotal evidence is that in some cases insurers are, in effect, warehousing liquid assets at the moment with the intention of redeploying later into the private markets when the future direction of rates becomes clearer and illiquidity premiums settle at attractive levels. The heightened importance of liquidity may in the end prove to be a passing phase with the long-term trend of increasing private market allocations re-establishing itself. Now on to the really exciting stuff, regulation. There's been a lot of interest in the UK reforms, Chris. How are they shaping up? Well, for once, regulation is quite exciting for some insurers. UK solvency regulation is beginning to diverge from the pure EU Solvency 2 rules in some areas, as UK regulators take advantage of the UK's exit from the EU. This enables the UK to tailor its regulations to meet its own market-specific needs. However, we shouldn't expect this divergence to be very great for two reasons. Firstly, UK regulators continue to have the duty to protect policyholders, and Solvency 2 has so far proved to be a fairly robust risk-based framework. And secondly, the UK will continue to want its insurance regulation to be seen as Solvency 2 equivalent. Nevertheless, there is political pressure to enable UK insurers to invest more into long-term assets such as infrastructure. This is particularly true for annuity writers, a market almost purely a feature of the UK. As a result, the first major ch change affects matching adjustment rules and applies only really to annuity writers, with a possible extension to PPO liabilities of motor insurers. This is perhaps timely with the activity in the pension transfer market picking up significantly on the back of recent rate rises. Essentially, these proposals are about some relaxation of the existing matching adjustment rules, including replacing the requirement for assets to have fixed cash flows with a requirement for cash flows to be highly predictable, removing the investment grade only requirement for matching adjustment portfolios, thus taking away the cliff edge effect, and the simplification for the approval process, which has proved to be rather tortuous uh, in recent years. The first of these may well allow insurers to invest in assets that have prepayment or callable characteristics present in many private market transactions, while the second will make insurers more comfortable when investing in lower rated investment grade bonds taking away the potential pain of downgrades and also the, the opportunity to invest in sub-investment grade bonds. The proposals have been published and are out for consultation. The PRA has an ambition for the new rules to be implemented by the end of next year. 
When looking at this, there are two major areas to consider. Firstly, what will the actual rules say and when will they be implemented? This will largely be a matter of fact. The second area to consider is a little more subjective, and that is how will the PRA apply the new rules? For example, the current rules allow insurers to include structured equity release mortgages in their MA portfolios, but the regulator has questioned some insurers about the extent to which they've availed themselves of this ability. The question in insurance minds now is to what extent the PRA will allow insurers to take full advantage of any new rules. Insurers and their asset managers are going to need to prepare for the new rules. However, implementation is still more than a year away and the matching, portfolio, matching adjustment portfolio approval process, even when streamlined, still has to be navigated. It'll be a while before we see any material changes to matching adjustment portfolios in practice. Thanks very much, Chris. One to watch, I guess, and one we know insurers are already actively thinking about in terms of sourcing new assets and origination channels, as you say. So now coming to the final question, um, but not least, ESG. Many insurers are uniquely positioned in the sense that their assets and liabilities are impacted by material ESG issues. For example, the world's climate adaptation and mitigation response can affect both assets they hold and also liabilities in terms of claims paid out. So Chris, what are the current implications for insurers and how do you see this continuing to evolve over time? Okay, well, governments, regulators, insurers and other financial institutions are largely on board with ESG, especially the E as it relates to climate change. There's been some concern recently, though, about greenwashing, and the UK government has walked back some of its commitments on cars and household heating. Nevertheless, insurers' commitment is mostly quite high and increasing. There have for some time been opportunities for equity investment in climate change projects, but credit opportunities have lagged a little behind. More recently, however, such credit opportunities have begun to emerge, often backed by governments, multinational and regional banks and other institutions. This has provided additional sources of origination, as well, potentially, of investment incentives. Looking more closely at the climate change issue, we can see that the advanced and developed economies are further ahead in terms of clean energy solutions and climate mitigation strategies. For this reason, we believe that the opportunity to make the biggest impact almost certainly lies within the emerging economies. While insurers want to get involved in investing in ESG strategies, though, they do face some challenges, namely the goalposts relative to standards and measurement continue to move. Reporting requirements from regulators and others are also evolving and there's no universally accepted best practice yet. And while the biggest impact can be made in emerging economies, insurers' own guidelines and governance often restricts the overall investment in key emerging markets. There's clearly a lot of investment required to achieve the overall climate, um, climate change goals. Insurers are obviously well-placed as long-term investment investors to contribute to this. They will need to work closely with asset managers and others, not only to achieve the maximum impact, but also to secure adequate returns. Thanks, Chris, and thanks, everyone, for joining us today. We look forward to you joining us for the next insurance podcast coming up in the new year.